Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, everyone. My guest today is poet, artist, and author Rupi Kaur. Rupi and I discuss her latest book, Healing Through Words, Our Confusing Childhoods, First Loves, The Meaning of Home, Being the Daughter of a Revolutionary, the magic of vulnerability, and a lot more. Today's unqualified segment begins with a call from Hannah, whose goal of attaining her college degree is in jeopardy after her stepmother forbid Hannah's father from continuing to co-sign her loan documents. Hannah is now forced to make a tough decision which could further alienate her dad. After speaking with Hannah, we check in with two past callers who tell us how they've been since being on the podcast— I really want to thank these listeners for sharing their stories so openly. If you have a question and would like to talk with us, we would love to hear from you. Just look for the link in our show notes. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. So good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. I am so thrilled. How do you feel about giving advice, Rupi? Oh, I'm terrified. <laughs> How do you do it? <laughs> I'm like, listen, I don't know what I'm talking about, but you gotta like block him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always go with that. Like, I have no idea. And I am wary of saying what I would do. And I don't know. Let's see what happens. So I pre-ordered your book, Healing with Words. I really appreciate how you described it as being your own best friend. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. I think for me, writing is kind of a mirror into my inner voice and my inner world and my inner self. And when I'm writing, I feel the closest to myself, if that makes sense. I feel like the world is so noisy and there's so much going on all the time. You know, we're constantly being hit by information. And when I'm writing, it's just me. It's just me and whatever my inner voice is saying. And it's a very transcendent experience. Have you ever had anyone read your writing without permission? I don't think so. The only thing that comes to mind is probably my mom reading my diary oh. at like nine years old. That's exactly <laughs> where I was going. Oh, nine. Were you mad at her? How did you feel? I was so upset and so mad. It felt like a complete violation. Mm -hmm. I remember being like, well, if I wanted you to know those things, I would have told you. And she didn't get it. Absolutely not. But I mean, now it's much different. But as a nine-year-old, she was not happy with it. My mom read my diary at 16. And it was like after one of the best nights of my life. And I was a miserable teenager. I can very much relate to your experience in terms of like my strategy during that time was just to lay low, just get through it. Mm. But my mom read my diary and 
I had just performed in our high school play and I had been at this party. I got French kissed for the first time, which was like this giant slug in my mouth, you know, but the guy was super cute. Then we did some more stuff, which was the first time I'd done anything like that. Mm. My mom read it. She was furious with me, you know, and then I felt like, how do I do this again? How do I write again Mm. in that way? So I sort of started writing in a degree of code, Mm. but that violation was tough for me at that age. That is really tough, I think, because writing is so personal and that space with you and your journal, you and your diary is a safe space. And anytime a safe space is violated that deeply and then you're punished for the thing that you wrote, I mean, I can't even imagine Uh like trying to repair that. It would take so much. I mean, I love her, and I know that she grew up with a horribly abusive and very poor family. So I really credit her with loving me so well and supporting me so well. Mm. But there were those moments. Of course. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like, there's so many things I think my parents have done to, like, mess me up. How do you see that their intentions are good? I don't see it as a teenager. I was like totally like me and my mom were enemies, enemies, just like the typical horrible mother-daughter teenage relationship. And she was a very strong person. I had a lot of opinions and she did not like that. I mean, the thing that I always went back to is she was like, oh my God, you have so many opinions and such a big mouth. How are you ever going to get married? How is this ever going to happen? And I would like fight her for it about everything. And I think what helped is growing up and realizing where she got that from. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what she was told and experienced. Like, for example, a story I tell often is like the first time I got my period, my mom was so upset because in the culture that she grew up in, it was such a bad thing. And every time I would get my period, I was in ninth grade at the time, and we had this big trampoline in the backyard. But if I had my period and I was jumping on the trampoline, she would run out and be like, no, 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 you're sick. You can't be jumping on the trampoline. And I remember being like, what do you mean I'm Uh, sick? Like, I'm going to run around. I'm going to rollerblade. And for many years, she didn't get it until, I mean, I kept pushing it. I kept rebelling and showing her I lived in a way that almost, I guess, undid everything she'd been taught. But I mean, I come from a culture that is so misogynistic, you know, so many cultures are. And I think women really carry the weight of that. Your parents moved to Ontario when you were three. In hindsight, how has that contributed to your identity? Yeah. I mean, my dad, when I was born, he was already in Canada. He was a refugee and a product of the 1984 sick genocide that happened. Rupi, will you tell me about this? Yeah. So this occurred in the 80s and the 90s. And what happened was when India gained independence from the British, Sikhs were consistently oppressed and sidelined. We make up about 1% of India's population, but over 80% of the Indian army that fought for freedom. And I think the oppression got to a point where Sikhs were like, we need our own land. We need to fight for sovereignty. And I believe that every community has a right to dream of and talk about that. But that didn't go well with the Indian state. And so during the 80s and 90s, tens of thousands of forced disappearances, fake police encounters, countless unmarked graves full of bodies discovered, 
throughout the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s. And my dad was one of the men who was picked up by police and one of the lucky who got away. And our libraries were burnt. Our religious temples were attacked. I mean, I could go on and on. It was a very traumatic experience for the community. And where we moved to, Ontario, there were so many Punjabi Sikhs who were moving here directly because of that genocide. So I grew up knowing about that. And I grew up protesting against the Indian state that caused so much pain to not just my community, but so many other communities in India. And so that was naturally weaved into my DNA. My father is such a revolutionary, and it comes as no surprise that when I was a teenager, I also got involved in community organizing and activism. But what was so interesting was because of my father's trauma and experience, he was so scared when I got involved with an activism. And I was confused because I was like, excuse me, like, this is exactly what you did. Like, how can you not expect to raise a daughter who's going to do the same? And he was scared because I think he saw how much it uprooted his life and changed his life and how much it took from him, how many friends he lost, how many young men are still locked up in prisons wrongfully because they spoke up for and wanted to fight for freedom. And I think that moment when I started going on stage and getting involved in activism, because my poetry and my activism is so intrinsically tied together, he was not happy. And we fought and we fought and we fought for years. Oh, no, he was really that. He was scared. Yeah. Because he was like, people are watching and you're going to get in trouble. And I don't want that. Like, why can't you just focus on your studies, get a good job, don't end up like me. Lay low. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. What does the idea of home mean to you? I don't know. I don't know. And I've been writing a poem about it recently because like, I don't know where I feel at home. And I don't know if that's because I'm an immigrant and I don't feel fully Canadian and I don't Mm -hmm. feel fully Punjabi, but I'm a bridge between two worlds as an immigrant who occupies both spaces. But as somebody who comes from a community that doesn't have a land of their own, that doesn't have a country that loves them and fully embraces them, I think home, it's very confusing. And I asked my friend, she's an author, her name is Fatima Bhutto, and her and I were hanging out a couple of years ago, and I know that she also moves a lot for work. She goes from Pakistan to London a lot, back and forth, and I move a lot because of work. And I asked her, so like, where do you feel at home? Like, what's home for you? And she said something that just like cracked me wide open. She said, the last place I left behind. And I was like, yeah, that's it. It always feels like home is the last place I left behind and home is always the place I am going but never reach. It feels like as soon as I get really close, like as soon as I walk through the front door, home slips out the back. The idea of it being the last place you left feels sad, doesn't it? Mm, It does. It feels sad and it feels confusing. I also want to know what you feel about home. I feel I've only recently found it. There is this feeling of priority of myself and the people that I love. Mm -hmm. And I really treasure every little thing. Like, I can't wait for, like, the blackberries to blossom. And, like, I get really excited if I see a woodpecker. Mm -hmm. It's a feeling for me that I want to cling on to of comfort. 
That's beautiful. But it took a while to find it. Yeah. It's also, you know, my husband and my kids, but it's sort of the entirety of it. Yeah, exactly. I totally know what you mean. Because home is also, for me, where my loved ones are. Mm -hmm. I always say, wherever I go, if they were there, I'd feel at home. Rupi, what was your first kiss like? (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) It was beautiful and euphoric and amazing, but not with a very good or kind person. And I think it's something that I rarely think about because that person changed the course of my life in like a lot of horrible ways. But I do like kissing. I do too. I do too. (laughs) I'm always interested in that first formidable relationship. Mine was rough too. Mm. And I was like willing to take a cheese grater to my heart for him. (laughs) I know that feeling. (laughs) (laughs) And at a time in life when those feelings are all consuming Mm. and so raw, will you tell us about a heartbreak, whether it's this one or something else and how you got over it? Yes. So I will tell you about a heartbreak, not this one, but another one. Oh my God. You know, and it's, You've gone through this. I think for me, that was the worst heartbreak because it felt like there was no possible way that I could actually live. And I remember being so heartbroken, like I was physically sick. I was getting a fever. And I remember not being able to physically move. I remember my friends and I were going out and me and this guy had broken up. And for some reason, he starts messaging me after the breakup and it just triggered this thing. We were on our way to a club. And I couldn't get out of the car. And I was just curled up in the back seat, most intense fever of my life. And I couldn't move. And I told the girls, like, you guys go. I'm fine here. Leave me like this. I'm going to be exactly in the same position when you get back. And it was so intense. I mean, writing is the only way I knew how to process it and recover from it. And it took a really long time. But wow, like emotions are so powerful. And the way that they are tied to our physical bodies is like quite something. Yeah, totally. And I'm sorry that somebody stomped on your heart and then message. Oh, that's, I always wanted somebody who broke my heart to pursue me. It never happened. <laughs> like, well, I was crazy to let you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my experience, anytime that happens, by the time they come around, you're done. You're over it. And it's like, okay, buddy, you should have showed up true. six months ago. Your heart has like solidified. I always think of like a pearl in an oyster. Like, I'm just going to keep smoothing over this grain of sand that's irritating me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's been my experience. When they come back, it's too late. But I'm so glad that he crushed my heart. So glad because I got to pour it out in milk and honey and then the sun and her flowers. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah, I like to think that the scars sort of make us more empathetic people. Exactly. Do you collect anything, Ruby? Books. My room is filled with books all over. There's no shelf space. They're all over the floor, just piles and piles so high. And I've been on tour, so I've been collecting postcards from each city that I go to. How has the tour been going? And are you totally exhausted? (laughs) Yeah, it is very intense. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. Like The only part that I like is the 90 minutes I'm on stage and everything else just chips away. And I don't know if I even want to do it again after this one. Oh, really? Tell me a little bit about that. 
I've always gone on tour for like a month, you know, and then I take a break and then maybe I'll go for like another month. But I've never been on like a world tour that's taken up like a year of my life consistently. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been really hard. It feels like I've put everything, all of my relationships all on pause my relationship with myself and the things I want on pause to kind of almost relive the same day every single day. Uh Because it is the same, you know, it's like the venue and the airport or whatever, the hotel, and it feels very the same. And I think I realized two months into it, I was like, okay, cool, I'm going to finish this thing. But now that I've done it, I might never do it again. I want to perform. I love performing, but it has to be in a way that feels sustainable to my mental health because If I'm not healthy, I can't create at my best. And I know that my best work is ahead of me. But the only way to get there is if I make space in my life. And you know this more than anyone. We work in these industries within capitalism and it's so extractive and it will take and it will take and it will take. Doesn't really care about you. And so I think as artists, we have to actively work against and really build safe spaces for ourselves that feel sustainable. And that's scary and terrifying, but I'm also excited to do that after this tour is done. I really reevaluate the past decade and how I've worked and how I can stop working in certain ways that have been draining me. I want you to go someplace. Oh, I'm going to go. Where are you going to (laughs) go? I don't know. Can I help plan it for you? Please, (laughs) please. I would love any suggestions. I was telling my friend yesterday, for the last decade, since I've been in high school, all I've done, because we didn't grow up like financially, like we didn't have a lot. And it was always such a strain on my family and my upbringing. And there was always this insecurity around money. And so since high school, all I did was make lists of goals and career aspirations And I think the next list I make, it's going to be the first list of like life things, like things I want to do for fun. And I'm so excited. So I'm open to all the suggestions. Where should I go? I want to go learn how to make ceramics in Japan and learn to swim. I don't know how to swim. (laughs) So I'm really excited to just live. Yes, Ruby, I do think this is really important for you. I know that grind, that sort of impersonal, lonely grind. Yeah. Like even the sight of your suitcase is like, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'm never unpacked. Like I came back for my North American leg and I just like left it there because I was like, what's the point? I'll pack for Europe and the UK when I got to leave. I think next year after this tour, I'm going to have to have my eat, pray, love year. But I'm calling it my eat, pray, cry year (laughs) just because it's Yeah. (laughs) Before I forget, I thought of something that I really wanted to tell you. I really appreciate how during a live show, you encourage your audience to have the exchange. Mm -hmm. I really love that. Thank you. And they must love it too, because you're acknowledging them and you're also receiving very well. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I go on stage and I pour out some of my most vulnerable moments. And that's only possible when I'm receiving back. And I feel like when I'm on tour, like, yes, it's poetry and it's like the most important thing. It's why people come. But selfishly, for me as a performer, it's like a second to that exchange. That exchange is what has the room buzzing by the end of the night. And it's the magic that we create together. And so that's what I tell folks. Like shout, if you have something to get off your mind, say it loudly and proudly. And, you know, some folks will be talking to me throughout the entire night. And I think it becomes a really connective experience for everyone. 
it makes the show really, really special and gives me energy too, which is the best part because the more energy I get, then the more that I can give. Oh, completely. It's really beautiful to see. Thank you. And I think we're so many of us are so hardened. Our defense walls are so high. So for you to openly break it down, saying like, listen, I'm not going to be defensive if you guys aren't defensive. Mm. Let's go through this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's pretty awesome. It's really unique and really, really special. Thank you. It is. It's very special. It's very sacred to me. Yeah. Will you tell me? Well, okay. I also obnoxiously would love for you to read a poem to us. I would love that. Really? You would? (laughs) Yeah. You're not too tired of it? No. Oh my God. No, no, no. I don't think I'll ever get tired of performing. Hopefully not. But let me go grab a book. I read this one a lot. Good. This is your (laughs) choice. I was like, I really wanted to ask you, but... I was a little embarrassed. Like, I should have maybe, like, prepped you. No. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? Send something to the people who would let you know. I appreciate (laughs) that. But it's such an honor for me to, like, have this exchange with you because I feel like, for me, like, being public-facing has made me so scared Uh and isolated and all of the things... So any opportunity that I get to be in conversation with someone like you, it's really special. So you can ask me anything. (laughs) Thank you, Rupi. Okay, let's start with Timeless. They convinced me I only had a few good years left before I was replaced by a girl younger than me. As though men yield power with age, but women grow into irrelevance. They can keep their lies for I have just gotten started. I feel as though I just left the womb. My 20s are the warm-up for what I'm really about to do. Now wait till you see me in my 30s. Now that will be a proper introduction to the nasty, wild woman in me. How can I leave before the party started? Rehearsals begin at age 40. I ripen with age. I do not come with an expiration date. And now for the main event. Curtains up at 50. Let's begin the show. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. I imagine you almost must be able to explore, like as an actor, if you're doing a play for an extended period of time, you have to kind of keep yourself interested by discovering new versions, new ideas in the material. And the evolution is part of what you have to do a bit. Can you speak to that? Yeah. Was there a poem that maybe has resonated even more? Yeah, I mean, with this one, it's always resonated and felt so special to me. It's one of those poems that I feel like I didn't even write it. You know, it's one of those poems that something happened and it just came through me and the universe was like, here you go. And I happened to be at my desk that day and I'm the one who received it. I love performing it and sharing it, but it feels different now. Like I love performing it now more than I did. I mean, I think this piece is like five years old, but I'm about to turn 30 in a month. And so this year of performing it at 29 has felt very different. And, you know, there's so much when I think a woman is about to turn 30, especially a woman in the public eye, 
And so performing it every single day on the road has been such an important reminder that the best is yet to come. It is unfortunate that age is so emphasized. I've been loving my 40s for sure. Every decade, like 20s were torturous to me. (laughs) Same. 30s was like, okay, all right, I'm going to get the hang of this. And then 40s, I still would not say that I have the hang of it. (laughs) Mm. Will we ever? No. And I'm never trusting of people who say that they have a hang of it. I'm like, I don't know (laughs) where we're meant to. I don't know if that's real. (laughs) But what has been really liberating is I have a deeper sense of generosity. It's so much easier for me to give love and generosity than it was in my 20s when I felt really like on the hamster wheel of competition. Yeah. And comparative mentality. Constantly like, oh, that person's career is better than mine. The whole thing. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because especially with age, like I feel fine about turning 30. To me, I feel like for the last eight years, I felt the same. Totally. And it's awesome, but it's arbitrary. I feel like it's people's reaction that makes me go, whoa, do people think this? Mm -hmm. Is that how the world is going to see me? Because I'll tell people, oh, yeah, like I'm turning 30. And they'll be like, oh, don't worry, you'll be fine. Uh, And I'm like, I wasn't worried before and now I feel worried. (laughs) Don't worry, you'll be fine. It's just another day. Day, Rupee, okay? Just another day. You're going to get through it. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, what is wrong with people? Okay. So back to a couple of questions before we get to callers. So what do you think about the advice that you would give to your younger self? Uh, I would tell her that she has no idea what's about to happen, but just go with it and it's going to be all right. And I would tell her that it's okay. In fact, it's more than okay to do things for yourself. And then have you ever written a fan letter? I have not written a fan letter. No, that's mostly because I love so many people and I admire so many people, but I'm so shy and never want to like make anyone feel uncomfortable. So I've never sent a fan letter. But whenever I do get the opportunity to meet someone I deeply admire, I just want to run up to them and be like, you saved my life. (laughs) But then I'm like, okay, that's a lot to put on this person who has given the world so much. So let me chill and like, ah, cool. But most recently I sent Elizabeth Gilbert a message and we met and she's been like such a force in my life. I watch all her interviews and read all her books and Big Magic was a book that really saved my life and made writing my third book possible. It's a book about creativity and how to go back to it and how to protect it. And I was really lost after, you know, Milk and Honey became as big as it did. I felt completely shattered. Like my relationship with my writing, I felt like had been taken from me. And her book helped me walk back to it. And so I remember meeting her and I'm pretty sure I did say the thing. Like I was only able to do this and this and this because of you. And I sent her a message afterward and it was a fan message And she was so kind and so receiving and so giving, so generous to really like extend and share her wisdom. That's probably the most recent one. I love that you have this big, beautiful smile on your face. Did you have a book when you were like 14, 15, 16 that was like, oh, this for me, it was Foxfire by Joyce Carol Oates. Mine doesn't feel as deep as yours, but the books that got me through my childhood and my teenage years were the Harry Potter series. 
I mean, I read the first one in fourth grade and I think the last one probably came out when I was in 12th grade or something like that. I've never read them. Is it the loneliness of Harry? Is it his like journey of sort of isolation that touched so many people? Those books were my escape and I think that's what it is. It feels like if he could do it, I could do it. If he can do great things, I can do great things. Mm -hmm. Like if he can change the world and be kind and good, then I can too. It was like those books were my companions and my friends. But for sure, I think it touched on a deep loneliness. And I was very lonely. So that made sense. I really am fascinated by language. You speak Punjabi, right? Fluently? Yes, yes. I wanted to ask you if there was a sentiment or a phrase or an idea that you wish translated better. Oh, so much. Oh my God. Like, it's so actually really difficult and strange to translate Punjabi phrases, which are so deep and so beautiful and intimate. Like English doesn't even have words for those things, you know? And that's what's fascinating is like when you know two languages and then sometimes I'll be like, wait, there is no word for that in English. One thing I really love and I've been writing a piece about it is Punjabi. It's a language that touches on so much emotion, but also humor. So I don't remember the lines, but it's something about like, you'll never be in a room full of Punjabis and not laughing because we laugh and we use humor to survive pain. And there's this one thing that we say when somebody passes away, we say pure hoge. And that means they have been completed. You know, we don't say they died or they're gone or they passed away. How beautiful. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Will you say it again? Pure hoge. Like they've been completed. And so there's phrases like that, that when I like sit back and I think about, I'm like, oh my God, that's like such a poetic way of saying that, you know, it's not cold and static. It's full and big and dynamic and soulful. It's beautiful. Rupi, what was like your very first job? My first job was at Tim Hortons, which is a Canadian, you know. No way. That is rad. Yeah. It was at the Tim Hortons that was close to our high school. So for those who don't know, it's like the most accessible place to get coffee in Canada. It's kind of like a Dunkin' Donuts. And we would go there for lunch all the time. There was like a Wendy's right next to it. And so all the kids from high school, that's where we went for lunch. And I was complaining really loudly one day. I need a job and I can't find a job. And the owner walked out. He was like, do you want a job here? And I was like, really? Yeah, I do. And me and a couple of my friends got hired that day. Oh, so it was like kind of a blast. You got to work with your friends. Yes, got to work with my friends. But he was really strict. So eventually I was like, I have to get out of here. Like you weren't even allowed to have like one Timbit. (laughs) I was like, come on. What's a Timbit? I assume it's a donut hole. Oh, a Timbit. (laughs) It's a donut hole. (laughs) It is. Sorry. We don't even call them donut holes here. Everybody just calls them Timbits. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Manny's and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi. I'm here with Rupi Kaur and she is just like luminous. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was so excited when I saw her name come up because oh, I love your poetry. Thank you. It got me through so much in life. It's amazing. Thank you. That means the world. I appreciate it. I'm so happy and I'm so excited you're here. This is so cool. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Hannah, thank you for your letter. Will you tell us what's going on? Yeah, it's just a lot of family drama with me going back to school. It's frustrating, especially because, you know, I waited five years after graduating high school to actually decide to go to college because I didn't know really what I wanted to do. And that was hard because, you know, my family kept pushing me to go to college. Yeah. You know, just kept pushing me like you have to figure out something. You have to do something with your life. And it was really frustrating because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And now I do know, and I'm really excited about it, but it's expensive. It was awesome to see the smile on your face when you thought of what you want to do. Will you tell us what that is? Yeah, so I'm going for criminology and criminal justice, which I'm really excited about because it's going to let me help people on a really personal level. One of the biggest things that I want to do with it is victim advocacy, just like showing up in court for families, helping kids who are being relocated and things like that. How awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I love it that you found something that you believe in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm really excited for it. It's not going to be easy because I know I have to get a master's degree after I'm done with my bachelor's to really get into what I want. But at least it's a start to get my bachelor's. Mm -hmm. This is great news. But then it sounds like there's also bad news, or at least the stickiness of family and finances. Will you tell us about that? So my parents are divorced, so I can't use both of them on my financial aid papers. And my mom makes a lot more money than my dad does. So I had talked to my dad and just said, can I use your information for financial aid? Because I'll get more money in loans. And he was fine with it. I'm not asking him to co-sign. I'm not asking him for any money. I can get more loans in my own name. That's all I need. And at first he was fine with it. So we got my first year set up and ready to go. It's now affordable for me. But then whenever I talked to him just recently about, are you guys still okay to do it for my second year? My stepmom is the one who answered and just said, no, we're not doing it. And didn't tell me why, really just left it at that. And it freaked me out because I was like, well, if I can't take out these loans, I have to drop out. You know, I can't afford that high of tuition on my own. So I let it sit for a while. I did do some research because I know my brother just graduated high school, my stepbrother. So I thought maybe she's saying no because he wants to go to college. But then I found out that that doesn't affect anything. It doesn't affect his eligibility for loans. It doesn't change anything on their taxes or anything like that. 
So I was like, well, then there's just no reason, you know? And once I had finally talked to my dad about it, it was kind of just, hey, things are still up in the air. She doesn't want her information being in there. So I still don't even know, you know, how that's going to work for my second year of college. What a weird, it must feel confusing. Yeah. And it's stressing me out a lot because, I mean, I can use my mom's information. She doesn't mind, but that wouldn't give me much money and loans that I'm eligible to take out. Mm -hmm. And so I would have to take out outsourced loans and my mom would have to co-sign on loans for me if I go that route. And I really don't want to do that because I've really taken pride in the fact that I can support myself and I do. So I don't want anybody else's name on anything that I'm doing because that's a lot of money to make somebody else responsible for. Do you live with either parent? No, I live on my own. During those five years after graduation, did you live with your dad or your mom? I lived with my mom for a little bit. And then you were on your own. Yeah. So what the fuck is our problem? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. See, my mom is totally supportive. My mom even said, you know, hey, if we have to go this route, I will co-sign for you. And I just really don't know what to do now because one of the options that was kind of brought up is, well, why don't we go to court and get the money from your dad for back pay on child support? Brought up by your mom? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, this is interesting. Which would pay for my tuition. Uh Uh-huh. So he didn't pay child support, Mm -mm. but he was supposed to. Yeah. Oh, pa. No, it's a juicy situation. Oh, God. Heartbreaking. Yeah. And it would pay for my tuition. It would, at least for most of it. And that would be really helpful because even with the loans for this year, I'm still paying almost 400 a month just for the semester. So, I mean, it would be really helpful, but I don't know if I want to go that route because he also has four other kids to take care of. And I am so sorry. You must have such complicated feelings about your dad and your stepmom right now. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm really sorry. It's okay. <laughs> I don't have complicated feelings toward them. I'm mad at yeah. them. <laughs> well, I'm you. mad too. Yeah. Rupee, what do you think? I feel like you're so thoughtful. And you're so caring and so generous. Oh, thank you. To think about his other four kids and be that understanding and also so kind to not want to put that on your mom. But I want to also remind you that you are their child and their responsibility. And you don't have to always put everyone else before you. And I'm mad at them. Like, I wonder where this is coming from, from your stepmom. It feels like it's some weird insecurity. Because there is no reason, like, I've filled those forms out. I know exactly what you mean. And it makes sense why you would want his information and not your mom's. And it doesn't take anything other than looking at your statements and putting in the numbers. And I think it is a really horrible thing to put your child in the situation that you're being placed in right now, being prohibited from getting the higher education that you are aiming for. Yeah. It's definitely frustrating. And I mean, I'm used to this with my stepmom. I think the whole insecurity is probably right. You know, the whole time of her being in my life, it's been kind of insecurities that I'm not her daughter and not a child she had with my dad. I'm from another woman and things like that. So I think it is insecurity, but it's still just so frustrating. I mean, it means the world to me that my mom is supportive and, you know, wants to help. But I mean, by the time I would pay those loans back, that'd be like five years from now. 
And I don't want to put anyone else in that unsure situation of, well, is she going to be able to pay these? Yeah, I think this is fair. In your letter, you mention some medical issues. Yeah. We don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. I'm pretty open about it. I just want to make sure you're okay. Would you mind? Yeah. Also, sorry if you hear noises in the back. My cat is like (laughs) going crazy. It totally sounds like it. Yeah. So that's kind of another issue that we're having is that I have Hashimoto's thyroiditis. It's an autoimmune disorder and it's expensive. (laughs) You know, I have my insurance from work and then also my mom's insurance that I use. So I use both. And still the bills are a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. It's frustrating. And that's kind of another thing that I've considered asking for help with before from my dad. And kind of the other reason that my mom brought up back pay, because it's a lot. That is where I'm leaning. But that your mom has your back. Oh, absolutely. That is awesome. And I'm really sorry that your stepmom is lame (laughs) and miserable, it sounds like, you know? Yeah. So when you spoke to your dad that initial time, I mean, it's hard to have like any kind of heartfelt conversation with one's own father. Yeah. (laughs) You know? So if it's anything like what I imagine, it wasn't particularly revealing, would you say? Definitely not. I mean, even just recently when I talked to him about like, hey, what's going on? Why can't you guys do this? It was basically just give me some time. I'll figure it out with her. And that was it. Mm. When was that? Maybe a month ago. Okay. And I haven't heard anything. Okay. Hannah, how much dread would you have if I told you that in the next two days, if not like an hour from now, I think you should call your dad and tell him that kind of the most practical option at this point is taking you to court and getting back payment. And I know that sucks, Dad, and I'm sorry, but this is the position we're in. Yeah. Because I don't want it to come across as a threat. Yeah, I don't want to make it a threat either, but it feels like it. Well, I feel like you have been independent. You have not put a burden on them at all. Yeah. You have been generous and patient and kind. You're going through this stuff. You're driven. You've got a dream. He didn't pay child support for how long? I don't know the exact length of time. I just know my mom said it'll cover most of tuition. Mm. (laughs) How would that conversation look to you? Would you have it? I think with my dad, it would be a very to the point. He probably would give a very short response, just kind of like I understand or something like that. I think with my stepmom, it would be a lot of drama. Mm. Uh Uh-huh. She's going to freak out. Yeah. Even just with this, you know, we just recently had a family dinner at my grandma's and she was there and she literally ignored me the entire time. Wow. Just because she was upset about this. Well, then let's up the Annie bitch. (laughs) Yeah. My boyfriend's mad at her. He also thinks that I should consider court. I think it would be fair to potentially write them a loving but thoughtful, carefully crafted email. I don't know if you need to talk to them about this. If she didn't talk to you the whole time, I hate inexplicable, illogical resentment. Just pettiness? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I get yeah. it all the time in my family. It makes me always feel like I have to continue to prove to them. For some reason, it seems like some family members of mine want to believe that I am 
like a typical actress, like kind of vapid and like selfish and self-absorbed. All of those things may be true. <laughs> oh my gosh, no. I've been listening to the podcast for so long and seriously, exact opposite of all those I things agree. for you. <laughs> Thanks, Hannah. Yeah. That means a lot. People want to believe those things about you, not because they're true, but because they can't handle your light because they're too afraid to step into their own. And for your stepmom to treat you like that, it's just immature and just... Yes. How much of a broken place do you have to live in inside your own body to then treat your husband's child the way that she is treating you? It is just so regressive. It is. It's been like that forever, but... That is the silver lining then. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think you should take them to court. Yeah. It will cause drama and resentment, but look what they've already done. But I want to know how it will affect you. Will you be okay? Will you be totally stressed out? Will it aggravate your illness? I know stress isn't great for it. Mm -hmm. Sure. It's an autoimmune disease. Yeah. Yeah. Very inflammatory. Sometimes like chest pains with stress and things like that just because of everything going on, which sucks, but it's manageable. But outside of that, I think the only way it would affect me is just honestly helping with tuition. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. I haven't even been to my dad's house, I think, since I was like 13. Oh, oh, Hannah, I'm so sorry. Oh, it's fine. (laughs) Um, It was a choice I made when I was that age and I've stuck with it. The only other way it would affect me, though, is I guess just the backlash from my stepmom and maybe some backlash from my dad's family. But again, I don't really talk to my dad's family. Exactly. That's right. They've made the first move. Yeah. I think a crafted email, maybe you could work on it with your mom. Yeah. It's not personal. I suspect that your stepmom is like, her mom's rich. Let her pay for it. (laughs) Maybe she doesn't understand the mechanics, but she's illogical anyway. Yeah. She's already operating with illogical resentment towards you. And that sucks. And that is not a person that is good for you. No. Yeah, I choose not to have her in my life just because of that. I just wanted to add one thing, and it's that... If the going to court is like the way that you're going to go, I would just say like be prepared and think about all the scenarios that can potentially happen so you're not surprised. Like, yes, there's a potential that he never speaks to you again. So what will that make you feel like? I would start to process and think about that before I make that move just so that I feel strong when I do make the move. So you're emotionally prepared. Yeah, that would probably be really smart. (laughs) I have to tell you guys, though. So I go every year to this place called Ross Lake up in Washington State. It's been one of the weirder events of my life, actually, this journey. My uncle, he slipped and he grabbed onto me and dragged me down this rocky embankment. And then we spent the next four days together in a cabin without him talking about it at all. In fact, not just that. He was mocking me. He didn't apologize. It was the fucking weirdest thing. I was kind of going out of my mind. He was like, oh, well, look who's hurt. I'm like, you am looking at my parents. I'm like, I'm going I'm going crazy. Like I'm in pain. I didn't even necessarily need an apology, but like an are you okay would have been nice. Yeah. Or anything. It's like normal human decency. Totally. But that confirmed that he was resentful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't been picking up on it. Wow. 
And I know this situation just kind of confirmed for me, you know, everything that I've been picking up on from my stepmom for years was just that resentment. She's making a choice to think of you in a certain way. Yeah. That's not fair. And she wants to do that. Yeah. You don't need that person. No. To hold you back like that is just like, no, no, no. You can't let that happen. If you're okay emotionally doing it, I don't even know if you need to give them a heads up. Yeah. What do you think, Rupi? I wonder if there's a chance that if you were to send that email, they would just sign the papers. That's almost where I'm at. And I was talking to my boyfriend because I was like, well, I could just threaten them with this. And then maybe they would sign the papers. And he's like, well, yeah, but if you've decided to go ahead and go to court and then they go, oh, we'll sign the papers. He goes, you're going to be pretty disappointed about that because you've prepared yourself for this whole thing. And he was like, so if you decide to do this, you need to just do it. You know, don't give them a chance to go back on it because they shouldn't want to help you out of a threat. They should want to help you because that's what they're supposed to do. I always try to make the decision that makes my life easier. I mean, yeah, you have to think about that. Like going to court is a laborious process. But if you were to threaten them with this and they were to sign the papers, is that such a bad thing? Then you can go and continue with your studies and be on your way. Or, you know, I'm not sure how long the court process takes. I'm not saying that that's not the way. I'm a deeply emotional person. But when it comes to things like this, I really try to step back and try to not make my decisions based on my anger. I feel my anger and I express my anger and all of the emotions. But the decisions I try to make from like a pros, cons or more logical perspective in terms of like what will make your life easier because your life is already challenging. And yeah, I trust that you're going to do the right thing for you. Well, thank you. That was actually really helpful. I love it, Hannah, that you're close with your mom. Oh, definitely. I think you guys should formulate a plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's unfair of him to have not paid child support. Absolutely. And he should be like thanking your mom and you and being apologetic. And it sounds like you guys aren't super close anyway. No. So the risk is you kind of lose them for a while. But it sounds like that is not a huge loss in your life. It's kind of already there. It's not really a loss at this point. Having to talk about this school stuff is probably the only time I've actually had a conversation with either of them in Mm. maybe the last two years. Oh, man. Oh, let's serve it up, Hannah. (laughs) Because if they're operating from this like cold, bitchy calculation, they owe you. Yeah. There's an idea here that it could be really relieving for you. Mm-hmm. I think this journey will be stressful, but I think it'll also be very strengthening. Oh, yeah. And I think that you and your mom should formulate a strong plan to get that child support. Okay. Yeah. Does that feel good to you? Yeah, it does. Good. I want it to. I'm sorry that it came to this, but I don't want you to have to say that to your dad either. Yeah. Hannah, I'm thinking about you. Thank you. Good to meet you, Hannah. Bye, Hannah. Bye. Rupi, I can't thank you enough. And I'm really sorry that I didn't let you talk. Oh my God, no. Thank you for not letting me talk. You have much more experience. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) You like said the beautiful meaning things. I was like, let's sue him. That's so funny. No, it was great. (laughs) Thank you for this. Thank you for this. Thank you for making this time. Bye, Rupi. Bye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. 
Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Every so often, we talk with past callers who let us know how they've been since we had them on the podcast. First up is Anne, who was on Finn Whitrock's episode. This is an excerpt from her call. I'm currently dating a guy. I think we're going on three or four months now. And he's like my first like official boyfriend. And he's really sweet and kind and everything. But one of my issues is, or like something I'm struggling with is, he smokes like a lot of weed, which I'm fine with smoking weed. I have nothing against it. I smoke weed myself, but he tends to do it like a lot. (laughs) And he's kind of like reliant on it throughout the day. Like it's really hard for him to not go like a single day without it. And he's made a few like attempts to try and stop just for as far as like not spending as much money or be more productive and whatnot. He's made a few like declarations as far as that he wants to try and stop but he tends to end up smoking again. And so I guess like I'm kind of struggling with like trusting his word when he says he wants to stop. And like, if this keeps continuing, it might be like a deal breaker, like later down the road. Yeah. I don't want to make this too like dramatic, but I mean, there's a lot of addiction in my family uh, and friend circle. And I know people uh, have different opinions about this, but I think you can be addicted to weed and it can be a thing that affects your life and your most important relationships. I think that in general, if we're talking about like an actual addiction, like I don't think things like threats and shaming works well or works at all. It won't be a problem you can probably solve on your own, unfortunately. Yeah, I guess that's what I was getting at too. It might be something that you decide is not right for you. And it might mean that this relationship isn't right there are sacrifices everyone has to make of their own. There are things you have to put aside to have a relationship that works. I don't think people are easy to change, and I don't think that should be your burden at age 24. I think that you assessing if this is a relationship that gives you 70% happiness and contentment and 30% is like a little aggravation, those are okay percentages for a relationship. (laughs) I've just been thinking about someone who's saying, promising I'm going to quit and then smokes two days later. Like, that means it's not a promise that is for himself, you know, that he's doing it because he probably thinks it's what he want to hear. And I think it's really true what you said. Like, at this stage in your life and relationship, maybe it's not the time to take on an issue of this size and magnitude. Now, here's Anne to tell us what happened after we spoke. The advice that I received from Anna and Finn was really great. I would say the biggest things I took away was really just not to stress so much, which I'm pretty good at doing. After the call, I really tried to not think about issues and more just enjoy the relationship, which isn't hard, but it's pretty easy for me just to find like the small issues and blow them out of proportion. 
So after the call, I really focused on just enjoying the relationship and letting things just kind of settle and be as they may and not worry about them, which was really nice. And I felt like that kind of like made me grow in the relationship along with my boyfriend. And I really also liked what Anna said about like protecting my heart too, because although like I want things to work well, I also need to take care of myself at the same time. So it was really good advice as well. So after the call, it worked really well for the first and second month. And then as time went on, I started to think about the issue more. And I was still enjoying things and I was happy in the relationship, but I started to think more about the future and how I kind of wanted him to know where my head was at. And like sometimes whenever he would smoke, even though maybe it wasn't like a ton or if he was around me, it wasn't actually a huge deal. It would annoy me more just because I was already kind of anxious about the situation, I guess. Like, oh no, will it just keep getting worse? So about a week or two ago, I decided to bring the topic up and just kind of let him know where I was at. And it went really well. I was really nervous before the conversation, but he was happy that I told him and even like asked like how long I've been feeling that way. I was like, oh, kind of like a little while. So that open communication was really healthy and good for us, I think. Not even just for the relationship, I think for myself, I think it was really good to kind of set those boundaries. Like smoking is not bad by any means. If you enjoy that, that's fine. But like for myself and the future that I imagine, like that's not a part of my day-to-day activities. So I want to kind of like put that out there, I guess, and not waste either of our time. So yeah, it was a really good conversation. My experience, I would definitely recommend other people if they're feeling something. It's really good just in general. The only communication is so healthy. Just don't let other people know where you're coming at, just for yourself and for relationships. Because also like you can put up with something, but how long are you going to want to? No one wants to describe their relationship as putting up with something. You want to enjoy the process or enjoy growing with them. Being more happy and not stressing about things. Because in a relationship, I feel like it's easy to want things to go a certain way. And since it's like more of my first relationship, it's hard for me to kind of like relax and be like, okay, things can't always be my way. And so I feel like finding compromises and just not stressing was really healthy and good. So I think finding a combination of not stressing and also putting myself first was really good advice. Now we'll hear from Sandra, who was on Lisa Ling's episode. Here's an excerpt from the call. So I've been with my husband for about 22 years. We met in high school, had kids early, and we were great for the longest time. And then about three years ago, I started noticing him just kind of slipping away. And, you know, you go through that whole, what am I doing wrong? What can I do to make it stop or help or whatever? And then I found out two Octobers ago that he had been messaging one of my old good girlfriends and they were in love. And so basically last November he moved out, but like he tries to help me not struggle and we're trying to co-parent and stuff. And so like he's at my house every single day. He like makes dinner and does the yard work and all that stuff. And it's just so hard for me to like get over him, you know? And so I just don't know if I should or still hold out hope or what I should do. And I think in the heart of hearts, I know that I need to let him go and just move on. But I just wanted an outsider's perspective on that. I mean, honestly, I think you still love your husband, right? I mean, that's the issue. I mean, it probably doesn't help that he's in your home all the time and he made the decision to leave. And I wonder if you have a conversation with your kids about how it's really emotionally hard for you. And would it be okay if you saw your father outside this home Mm -hmm. because I think you need to take the time to start healing yourself. Yeah. And if for some reason he comes back sometime, like he made this decision, right? Yeah. To leave. And so far it seems like he's sticking to his guns and 
you need to heal yourself and seeing him in your space, acting as though things are all fine, Mm -hmm. prevents you from being able to do that. And as hard as it is, and it will be hard to not see him because secretly and deep down, you still probably like to have him in your home. Yeah. It will be really hard to heal if you see him every day, you know? Yeah. I agree with Lisa. It will be hard to not think about him, but try to force those thoughts out of your head and replace them with little moments of simple appreciation. I know it's kind of a cliche, but you can start small and eventually kind of reprogram yourself until it becomes habit. Resist the curiosity temptation if you can. Like, don't look at social media in terms of him. Like, don't ask your friends. And if your friends start to volunteer information, just try to suppress that element in yourself that we all have. Now here's Sandra to tell us how she's been since that heartbreaking call. After the call, I kind of discussed what advice I was given with a couple of my girlfriends who had already been kind of in with me through this whole thing and talked about how the advice was really well done and that I should just kind of come up with a plan of what I was going to do. And so I kind of sat down and wrote down like the advice, what I wanted and what I had planned to do about what I want and how to get that. The outcome has been pretty good. I wanted to, as we had discussed, set some boundaries. So I scheduled a time with my husband and made sure that we created a schedule that was fair for our son, but also for ourselves. Made sure that, you know, he has some weekends to himself and I have weekends to myself and also a couple days a week. So we were able to schedule that. That way I could start with the planning of things that I can do on my own. The most helpful advice that I was given, I think, was to not go and seek out what was going on on social media and just kind of move on. And not only that, but not really moving on with like a new relationship or anything like that, but working on myself, you know, going on trips with my girlfriends or just solo travel or whatever that may be, but like really find myself first. I just wanted to thank Anna and Lisa both for their really awesome advice in helping me navigate what to do next and also just kind of putting a mirror in front of my face to show me that it's not about the relationship, it's about me and making sure that I find myself and that I have that opportunity to do that now. I was so impressed by Sandra's strength and how open she was in sharing her story during such a difficult and painful time. I really hope hearing others describe their experiences helps in some small way. If you would like to talk with us, we would love to hear from you. You'll find the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to Unqualified. We'll be back with a new episode next Wednesday. 